Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. My mandate this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the third chapter. And to give us foundation here, this wonderful man called John the Baptist, as God had appeared through an angel to his mother, to raise up a son who will prepare the coming of the Lord Jesus on the earth. And he's uniquely anointed by God to do that. So he goes at the time when he's fully matured to minister to the wilderness in Judea. And the Bible calls him the voice crying out in the wilderness saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He ate only locusts and honey, and he girdled his loins with leather girdles, and his raiment was of camel hair. So different people started going into the wilderness to be baptized by John the Baptist in the repentance of their sins. A few people like the Pharisees and Sadducees as well had wind what was happening in the wilderness and they go there in fact in the seventh verse he's shocked to see the pharisee and the sadducee there he calls them a generation or a brood of vipers and he asks who warned you that you might escape the wrath to come um there's a teaching there how or who warns the pharisee the men that are indifferent to the pattern who are not in the order who tells them that something is coming for them to escape how certain people connect or slip into the things of God unexpected even though they are not positioned in the places where they should be able to connect very quickly but that's not for today um, verses 8 tells them you Pharisees and Sadducees you should bring forth therefore fruits meet for your repentance but when he tells them to bring forth fruit meat for their repentance he also knows quickly that they are going to think of an answer to counter his instruction because he knows how they think and then he says in verses 9, Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. So I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He knew the first thing that was going to come to their head was the excuse that they have Abraham as their father. And let me just take some time to explain this text so you understand exactly what God is telling us. Why Abraham? Why should they use him as an excuse when God requires them to bring forth food? in accordance to their repentance. Now when you look at this faith, Islam, if you look at Christianity, if you look at Judaism, all of them have one central or fundamental figure whom they believe is the father of the faith, and that is Abraham. If you go in Islam, I studied some of that. I studied in a Muslim school, did some little Arabic, and I read the Quran in some part. And in the Quran, it's very clear. They regard Abraham as the first Muslim. They look at him also as their father the father of the faith. If you study Judaism, they also look at Abraham as the father of the faith. 
when you study Christianity, we also look at Abraham as the father of the faith, of course, because he is the father of Isaac and Ishmael. And whether you go to the Muslim world or the sons of Ishmael, he is their father. Or if you stay this side uh, on the lineage of Isaac, out of Isaac comes Jacob and Esau. And out of Jacob comes the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember Jacob wrestling with God? The Bible tells us he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So Israel says, our father Jacob is of the seed of our father Abraham. So he is not only the father of the faith, he is also the father of faith. If they are teaching faith, he is the point of reference. He is the typification of the law of God called faith. You talk about faith, you're talking about Abraham. You following? That is why he says somewhere in Galatians chapter 3 verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This is now Paul speaking. He says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. You see, and the scripture for us seeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Seven words God gave Abraham to preach the New Testament to him. So then they which be of faith, verses 9, are blessed with faithful Abraham. So everybody which is of faith, everybody which is of faith is a child of Abraham. Judistic teaching says that. Islam says that. Christianity says that. But this is what they miss. And Paul later explains it in Galatians in what he found. But for Paul's explanation to hold root and understanding, for you the Gentile who might not understand the foundation of this, I want you to know that Paul firstly is a son of a Pharisee. He is a Jew of Jews. He says he's circumcised on the eighth day. He's of the stock of Benjamin. He's a Jew of Jews. But he was born in a city, diaspora, called Tarsus Cilicia. But later on, as he gets into his teenage age, his father takes him under the tutelage of one man called Gamaliel, who was the doctor of the law at that particular point. And Gamaliel taught him the way of God. In fact, he says he was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. He excelled in one portion of scripture. Paul says more than all his peers, everybody in his age and time knew that Paul was an A student when it came to Buddhistic teaching. He knew Judaism from the core. Now he's on his way to Damascus persecuting these Christians. You say that Jesus is coming in the flesh. They don't believe that Jesus is coming in the flesh. The Jesus they expect to come is a political figure. Then he's on his way to Damascus. A bright light shines upon him. And then the translation comes. A conversion comes. And while in Damascus... God starts to reveal himself to him a bit more and more and then he's taken to Arabia. Then he comes back to Damascus and then three years he goes to Jerusalem to tell the team that I've understood God uniquely. So when they say we are the children of Abraham, what Paul then later catches here, he says, by the way, when they say that because we are of the seed of Abraham, therefore we are the children of Abraham, these Jews think that they're talking about blood relations. Paul later discovered that this was not a blood issue. This was a faith issue because anyway, Abraham is a faith person. 
That's why he says in Galatians later in chapter 3 verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And he saith not unto seeds which be many, but as of one unto thy seed which is Christ. In other words, when God makes a promise to Abraham and says, I will bless your seed. God was not talking about seeds. That is the blood lineage of Abraham. He was talking about seed which is one which is Christ. And that seed which can only come by faith and not by blood. But the Jews missed it. They still think it's a blood issue. It's not a blood issue. That is why when Jesus comes, he comes also as the seed. Matthew chapter 1 verses 1. It's called the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, then they start listing this lineage. They start telling us so and so begat so and so and so and so begat so and so until a man called Jacob. Jacob begat who? Joseph. And Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom was born? Jesus. So now technically speaking, if we are following the lineage of Jesus Christ, this line of Abraham lands on a man Jacob and Jacob, another Jacob which later begets Joseph, which is the husband of Mary. Did he contribute physical seed? No, he did not contribute physical seed. But Jesus is a seed of Abraham by faith. So it's a faith issue. This is what the Jews missed. So up till today, they say, we are the seed of Abraham. That's why I tell people, if you study the Bible, a born again Christian is more Jew than a Jew who doesn't know God. Who is not born again. Uh, Romans 2.28 The Bible says, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. You're not a Jew. Outwardly here they talk about surface. For example, if they take your blood and they find your DNA to be a Jew. You're not a Jew because your blood shows that you're a Jew. He's talking about one which is a Jew inwardly. Something that goes beyond the surface of the flesh. It's of the spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. It's of the heart. It's not in the letter. It's not in what human language can deduce. So you're more Jewish than the Jews who have not believed in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is why later on Paul in scripture says, For we know that the Jew has no advantage over the Gentile. For the Bible says he is the Lord of all. He is the God, the same Lord over all. And he says, and he is rich unto all. Ah, he's rich unto all that call upon his name so you don't say ah because they're a Jew God will hear them more than he does us no so you ask yourself then why do we see the Jewish nation blessed why do we see that 25% more than 25% of the wealth in the world is distributed among the Jews that they're the richest people on the face of the earth simple because they keep the biblical principles and for us we think that because we have the faith we will deal away with the principles and still receive God's best. It's not possible. They just simply keep biblical principle. A principle is a principle. A law is a law. A precept is a precept. A pattern is a pattern. You reap what you sow. For as long as the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest. You see? For as long as this earth remains, if you know how to sow the right seed, whether you're Muslim or not, or not born again, if you know how to seed right, you'll always have a harvest. That's why some people miss it. There are folk in the world who don't have a relationship with God, but they understand the principles of the Spirit. And they apply themselves to these principles. Then you have a group of Christians who have the faith, but they quite don't connect 
to the principles. And they think that having faith is enough. This is the problem in the body of Christ. This is what I want to address today. Like the Pharisee and the Sadducee, he's telling them, yes, you're coming for repentance, but bring forth fruit that meets your repentance. And they say, no, we don't need to do anything. We don't need to bring up any fruit because we are the seed of Abraham. What fruit do we need more? Abraham is our covenant. We come in the name of faith. So what more do we need to do? What more principles do you need to ask to apply to receive the blessing of God? We are the seed of Abraham. We thought that the covering of Abraham suffices for anything. And it's not the first time we see that. One time again in scripture, if I'll take you back in John chapter 8 verses 31, Jesus goes to those Jews which believed on him and he tells them, if you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verses 33, the Bible says, They answered him and said, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How says thou that you shall be made free? You're telling us that we shall be made free, but we're Abraham's seed. We've never been under bondage with any man. What? That's blind. Why do I say that's blind? Because the Jews speaking at that particular point are under Roman rule. So how can you be under Roman rule and you say we're not in bondage to any man except that you have been so comfortable and convenient with bondage that you have started to find liberties in your bondage. Few people got that. You know, you can be so bound that you start to see liberties in your bondage. I'll give you an example. When you come from a third world country and you've lived around for all your life in a third world country, you can be so bound to the cloud of that reproach to a point that you could at some point forget the reality of its consequence and start to settle for the testimonies of bondage. Because you've lived so long in that system, you start finding conveniences in bondage. I'll give you an example. There's a person right now in a third world country, somewhere in church testifying that there was a time they didn't have clothes. Now they can change any shirt. Yet almost 99% of the clothes they have in that suitcase are second hand. So they are expressing their liberty in divine provision, quote and unquote. But they are forgetting that there is a reproach, there is a cloud on their lives that marked them to put on what another man cannot do with anymore. After his sweat is like, ah, I'm tired of his shirt. He throws it and somebody receives it as a miracle. There's a reason why in a third world country it's harder to buy a zero mileage car. Then somebody will say, ah, but uh, what has that got to do with heaven, purposes and will and what? Nothing. nothing. You can actually be poor through and go to heaven. I only think you can live rich and go to heaven also. Is it wrong? Is it so wrong? So, why must the third world country person always have to buy a second, third, fourth hand car? 
because the provisions in the third world are not easier to get a first-hand car. Well, people in Europe do get them, not actually because they have the money, but because they're in a first world, and so some provisions of credit and other things can actually make that arrangement possible. Are you seeing what I'm saying? But there's this guy with his second-hand car, third or fourth-hand, but he's dangerous. He's, he, he thinks he's bigger, than, he's larger than life. He has found comfort and convenience in his bondage. He has started to define some liberties because his, either his eyes are blind to true liberty or it's simply that in the liberties there are certain conveniences that have come. Remember the children of Israel? They are held in bondage in Egypt for so many years that at one particular point when Moses helps them cross the river on their way to the promised land, the Bible tells us they start weeping. We want to go back to Egypt for we remember the fish, the onions, the cucumber, the garlic, which we ate. You brought us to eat manna, manna every day. We're going to starve. That's bondage. How can a man regret to eat cucumber and melons and garlic and want to go back to bondage as long as you give him garlic? As long as he can eat garlic, he's okay to stay what? Bound. Put chains on me. Make me build for you. Enslave me and hold me captive all you want, but bring my garlic brother. I imagine a Jewish woman that time. She's saying, me, I cannot stand this, these issues here. I cannot stand them. She's talking to her dear friend. Margaret, this is too much. No garlic, no onions. No watermelon. Can you believe my husband was eating manna last night everywhere, every day. That's what we're eating from heaven. Their prayer is to go back to Egypt. So it's possible to actually settle for so little and find liberty there. That's what the Jews got into. They got to a level where they're saying, ah, we've never been under bondage to any man. Why? Because we don't think actually that these Romans have held us in captivity. Why? Because liberties that convince us in some way that we're not bound. How deceived. Again, you see the reason? We are the seed of... But you see what they used? They didn't say we are the seeds. They said we are the seed. They think that God was talking about them, yet he was actually talking about Christ. He was talking about Christ. Hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. Now, can you believe that a whole Judistic teaching has simply lost this little thing? Just off tangent. And many are going to miss heaven because they don't know that this seed is the person of Christ. And that's why I was emphasizing earlier in the first service. And I told the people, you see, when you are a spiritual baby, you understand the word of God generically. You cannot separate the voices. Because you've not come to the knowledge of truth. Doesn't mean that you're not learning. Paul talks about people which are learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. To finally say, now I know the truth. And our egos, our pride, which comes from our fallen uh, nature, 
sometimes puffs up our minds to think that we know. We say we know. The Bible says there's a way that seems rightful to a man, but the end of that is destruction. They think they know, but they actually don't know. And some even graduate to be teachers, like Paul says, of the law, desiring to be teachers of the law. He says, not knowing what they say, neither from where they affirm these things. They carry no affirmation of the spirit. They carry no certainty of things in which they should be instructed. Like Luke says in Luke chapter 1 verses 1. If you go there, please. He says, for as many as I've taken in hand to set forth in order declaration of those things which were most surely believed amongst you, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, he tells his friend, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding, underline that word, perfect understanding, of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, O excellent Theophilus, that thou mightst have the certainty or know the certainty of things in which you have been instructed, that you might carry the affirmation of the Spirit as you receive divine instruction. You cannot receive the affirmation of the Spirit as you receive divine instruction without understanding the order of things. So like our teachers there, they desire to be teachers of the law, but they don't even understand the order of the spirit. They don't know that certain things come before other things. The certain truths and realities must precede other realities and truths that we, by twisting the order, you actually twist truth and its way. And I cannot tell you that this is one of the biggest or strongest tools of satanic temptation, demonic testation. If you look at Jesus Christ, the three temptations, when he's led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness, the first temptation was, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Secondly, he takes him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a twinkling of an eye. And then he tells him, Look at their power and their glory. If you will bow to me, I shall give them to you. He has tested what this man knows, whether he knows the word, and he has proved that Jesus knows the word. Now he's testing him against power. He's saying, are you willing to substitute the glory and relationship that you have with the Father with the power I'm able to give you on the earth? Earthly uh, blessing. And Jesus says, no. You shall worship the Lord thy God and him only thou shalt serve. He's trying to test whether this man understands his relationship. Because worship foundationally defines our relationship with the Father. And the third, which is the last, should have been Satan's strongest weapon. And most ardent one. Which I believe that in every aspect of your temptation, if you're, 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 you're not tempted in what you know concerning scripture, you'll be tempted in your worship. And if you're not tempted in your worship and Satan has tried both and failed, he's going to tempt you in this one last thing. This is the last, last temptation, which should have been meant that it was the strongest. He takes him to the temple and said unto him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down from hence. For it is written that he shall give angels charge over thee to keep thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up, least any time you should dash your foot at the stone. What is the temptation? The devil went exactly to Psalms 91. He knows that you know the word. Now, he's trying to test whether you understand the principles that govern scriptural interpretation. Revelational insight is not just to see in the lenses of scripture. 
Revelational insight is the place of seeing as you ought to see when you're looking into the word. So he's not trying to see whether Jesus knows the scripture. He tried that now uh, in the first temptation. Now he's trying to follow up to see. I know you know, but do you understand the context? Can you interpret what is spoken of God in light with the laws and principles that govern the interpretation of this scripture? He says, some says you shall send angels over you. It's written in scripture. You caught me right there. When you quoted scripture against scripture, you showed me that you know scripture. Now, let me bring something in the scripture. Throw yourself off a clip. He says he'll send his angels charge over you. Now, Jesus has now to come with another wisdom. He's saying that there are certain truths that precede other truths. But before I am caught, if I'm falling off a cliff, it is important to know whether I am tempting God by the liberty that I've received through scripture or I've actually been thrown off that cliff and I'm trusting on him to fulfill his promise. That's why he said, it's said you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That is the biggest temptation that I've seen Christians fall into almost every time. And that explains why they tell you that the Pentecostal movement is divided by at least a thousand denominations. And all of those denominations are disagreeing with each other based on doctrine. You walk out of this church, just drive half a kilometer, you enter a church, they believe different. You come out of that church, you drive another meet, few meters down the road, you find another one and they believe different. You make a circle of circumference of perhaps two or three kilometers in radius. Collect all the churches together and they cannot agree on many aspects of the faith. So when you're a baby, you can't tell the difference because food is food. Everything that comes, you put in your mouth. You see, you start to sound and you've met Christians who say, um... As long as you go to church, any church is a church. As long as it's a church, you all go to pray. Have you heard of people who say that? Those are babies. They are growing. Because I think everybody who opens the Bible and teaches the word knows what they are teaching. Or, do you know that there are people, somebody can sit in one church and hear one doctrine, go in another church, hear a different doctrine, go in another church, hear a different doctrine, go in a fifth church, hear a different doctrine, and tell you all of them are speaking the same. Because he cannot tell the difference yet. And because you cannot tell the difference yet, they are not presupposed that these people are speaking the same language. So it takes a certain maturity to start now differentiating those nuances. Saying, mm, okay, this teacher teaches this, but I think this one teaches it this way. So let me search the scripture to find out exactly what is true. You find a Christian, you teach him present truth. You tell him a simple truth. That greater is he which is in you than he which is in the world. Do you know the meaning of that sentence? The meaning of that statement means that the God which is in you is greater than every demon put together in the world. You labor for one whole hour to explain to this Christian that if the God in you is greater than any demon in the world, it is impossible to be bewitched. I'm not saying they will not send witchcraft to you. Like Paul says to us, there is only one God of whom are all things and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we by him and he says that how be it that this knowledge is not in all men for some up to today being conscious of the idol eat as unto the idol and because their conscience is weak not because the witchcraft is strong but because their conscience is weak 
it is defiled. Somebody hears such a mystery. Because God told you I am the only God. There is no other God. To us there is only one God. To us there is only one God. You following? So you teach this person that greater is he who is in you than he which is in the world. You're trying to tell him that if they got all the demons of the whole world and all of them were facing you, the one in you is still greater. And they say amen. And then tomorrow you hear they're in a church and they're breaking generational curses. And this individual is also raising hands up to receive deliverance. So, greater is he who is in you, granted. But you also admit that there are certain demons that can get in you. So you are also an object of deliverance. And they tell you, no, both churches are preaching the same. Except that this one emphasizes God in you. And the other one also talks about deliverance. But all of them are speaking the same. <laughs> wow. And you know that person has had me and they are going to go back tomorrow also for deliverance. People are funny. People, people, people. Christians are interesting. But I would understand a baby because a baby will drink milk and say, this is nice. Okay? And drink water and say, this is nice. And get vaseline. And eat it also. And say, this is nice. That day they found a certain kid eating a cockroach. Busy. This thing was passing and says, but this, this looks like food. Ah, ah. You understand? No consequence. They don't care. Why? Because these are babies. They get a metal, they bite it. Notice, meanwhile, they get plastic, they bite it. They get a dirty shoe, they bite it. They can even eat from their own potty. Because they're babies. So some of you spiritually, you think you can go to every church. You will grow up. One day you'll grow up. That's why I told people, as you continue to age, your teachers become fewer and 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 fewer. Why? Because you're now starting to separate the lawful and the permissible, the precious and the vile, the expedient and the lawful. You're separating. But you know how many Christians don't even know that separation yet? Oh, go to any church as long as they are praying. No. Leave that for some religions. There are some religions who are okay because when they enter their places of worship, they just repeat the same words. But if you know that yours is a relationship, intimate relationship, and you sit before a teacher to demystify, then I'm saying go to a church that preaches the truth. The truth. The truth. I've been amazed where some people say, ah, man, this guy preaches like the other guy. Then as a person, you try to, you know, put them together and see. Let me see what connects them. And you realize, no, they are different individuals. But there is one person whose eyes think that these people are preaching the same thing. Now it takes great maturity to start telling the difference from the voices. Because the Bible says, if you know not the meaning of the voice, you're barbaric scripturally or spiritually your spirit cannot receive from truth neither can it tell a lie so this is what satan was trying to do with jesus he's trying to test does this man actually know the fundamental or underlying realities 
or truths or principles that govern the interpretation of the word he knows can i mean he tells him uh god said he will give his angels charge over you jump off this cliff and then he jumps if jesus had jumped off that cliff even if he was to be the savior of the world at least he would break some bones if he was not going to die at least he would break some bones We saw that in horror a couple of years ago and if you want you can go on the internet you'll find this video. So when the fool young man goes in that scripture literally and says you shall trample on snakes and scorpions and none of those things shall by any means harm you. He brings out the scripture you know he preaches on it. This fellow during church he brings out a live snake he puts it over his hand and he says see what the Lord is going to do that is in faith. The thing, you know, bites him. He continues teaching. Nothing can happen to me. I've been given power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm me. Ten minutes later, the guy is sweating. Fifteen minutes, he's shaking. Twenty, the guy passes out. He died. You go on YouTube, you'll find it. He died. The brother died. He's in heaven now. Enjoying food with the archangels and what? He went earlier than planned. Because, yeah, if he dies, he goes to heaven straight. He just found a shortcut, you know. He took a super jet. Instead of walking there, he took a jet. These snakes and scorpions we are trampling over are not things we put our hands over to be beaten off. This is something if you are walking somewhere and it smites you without intention. That's why you claim Luke 10, 19. You don't put your hand there and say, let me tempt the Lord. I remember one time I went in a high school to preach the gospel and I preached and I preached. Now there was this kid. I don't know whether he was 100% up there. I think probably the English people call it a few slices short of the loaf. Hey, they use more humble terms. A few slices short of the loaf. You remember back in the day when, I don't know whether I still do that. So, you know, you have a loaf of bread and then there are slices, right? And then you can count them, right? And say probably this is uh, maybe 15 slices of that so if somebody could go somewhere in the middle or half of that those of you used to steal bread and <laughs> and then they remove one or two and then they put this thing together and then tie it together you understand so if a parent was also mathematical so that, <laughs> when we say person is a few slices short of the loaf I think this brother was not 100% up there. So, I preached the gospel. I preached faith. Kids are on fire. But he wants the whole school to get born again. So he one time calls me. said, Papa, I want to do something that will save this whole school. Bring it salvation in one day. I said, uh -huh, tell me. He said, I want to go on the fourth floor and jump. I'm, I want you to believe with me that I will land. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I had never been so scared on a phone call because at first I thought, is this boy already there? <laughs> I said, wait, 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 wait. He says, I just want to jump off. Believe with me. Then I learned. The moment I learned, I tell them, receive the Lordship of Jesus. 
go, Lord is my witness. I first asked the boy, where are you? Are you on the balcony? Are you in the class? He says, no, I'm just down here. Near the I said, now, please, please don't jump. Please don't jump. Then I started to explain to him scripturally why he should not jump. People have things in their heads. You know, recently I read the report that the 14 million Ugandans are what? Are not okay here. These days, if a Ugandan tells you, leave me alone, leave them. Leave them. Leave, leave them. Somebody says, walk away. Walk. Don't say, who do you scare? No, just go. 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 Piece of advice. <laughs> In university, we had another guy like that. He, those times we, we used to go on the mountain and pray, like for hours of prayer, and then you charge, charge under the Holy Ghost. You know these days, these generations, they don't pray. The younger ones, you guys don't pray. 1992, uh -uh. yeah, 96 bones, you don't pray. Our generation prayed, but you, you're learning. So, we used to go on mountains, sit there, spend about four or five hours praying. And then, <laughs> one of those days, I had this guy who used to pray with. He told me, you know, God has dealt with me. You know when I reach the road and I'm going to cross Apostle? I just get on the road like this, and I close my eyes, and I cross. He said, say that again. I close my eyes by faith. And you know, I've never been knocked. So I, I said, wait. When you say you close your eyes, you mean you don't look left and right? He said, no. A child of God. The moment I reach the road like this, whether it's a car coming at 180 or what, I, it has to stop. I told the brother, they will knock you. They will knock you and will bury you. That's not faith. That's something else. That's something else. God has not taken wisdom out of faith. In fact, if you read the scriptures, what he has said is that we should not build faith on worldly wisdom. He has said we should build faith on godly wisdom. Faith comes with divine wisdom. Oh, probably let me say this. So you have faith. You're going to dodge the lectures the whole term. Because you have faith. You're going to dodge lectures the whole term. Because you have faith. Are you following what I'm saying? And then, we reach to the time of revision. The exams are two days to come. You refuse to read because you have faith. When you reach that paper, what you didn't study, what you didn't revise, will just get into your head. And you'll excel. My God. Try it. The moment you enter in the examination room like this, the angels will just do like this. 
And when you're out of the examination room, they say, he's out. And then they'll walk back with you. They'll keep you from dashing your foot on the stone, but you'll come back with zero or one percent for writing your name. First Corinthians 2.9. He says, your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. But that's not why it ends. Next verse says, verse 6, how be it we speak wisdom. So, we're not talking about the wisdom of the world. We speak the wisdom of God among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world. No, not of the prince of this world that come to naught or nothing. It means we are speaking wisdom anyway. We're just not speaking of this world. So your faith should not be in the wisdom of this world, but it should be in the wisdom of God. And God has told you, preparation is important. If a man should have mastery, he should be temperate in all things. He should be patterned in all things. There's a process to every victory and every master in life. That's just how he has designed the world and its laws. Are you following what I'm saying? It's a pattern to life. So, preparation is key. Training is key. Revision is key. Teaching, sit in the class and understand everything they teach. Read and understand your text. And then go for that exam and say, Father, I commit my life to you to lead and direct. For I have done what you have required of me. I've done my part. I've done my preparation. Then you'll excel. You see? Now, we have a generation of people who want to apply faith without the principles that govern the faith we are believing for. Are you getting the point? These are the Jews. We are not going to repent. We are not going to bring forth fruit that accords to our repentance. Ha, ha, we are children of Abraham. He will cover our madness. We are children of Abraham. So somebody calls you and says, Apostle, my business has been travel struggling. You say, ah, okay. So what's wrong? I've lost more than hundreds and hundreds of millions of shillings. Oh, you lost money. <gasps> yes. Then you ask them, but do you have faith? Oh, I have faith. You preach this sermon, I believed it. You preach this sermon, I confessed it. You preach this, I've been confessing every day, speaking as a child of faith. Okay, so you ask them, so the Bible has told you that there is something that opens the windows of heaven. Do you give your tithes? Aha. I last tithed about four years ago. Ah. So you have been floating every principle of seed but you're expecting a harvest ah, because you have faith. So if a man is anointed, he'll pray for you and you can have a short fix. Something can break through for you. But that's, that's only for a while. The power to receive or access something is different from the power to keep it. That's why many people can access things, but they can't keep them. You can access money, but you can't keep it. You can get married, but you can't keep your marriage. You can access so many things, but you can't keep them because the wisdom to keep them is principled and it requires a certain form of discipline. You don't have that discipline because you don't respect the principles of the spirit that warrant the faith that you profess. And that's why things are not working. And then instead of understanding the principles, you think the problem is the apostle. You look for another apostle, or another pastor, 
Or you think a certain prophet is going to come and prophesy, and they will prophesy. Oh, I see this, and they prophesy things you have known. But I know people who have received prophecies for 40 years. Since they were little, they were telling them, you're going to be a leader. They are 60, they are still telling them, the Lord says you are a strong leader. <laughs> when they were 12, they were the leaders of tomorrow. <laughs> now they are 70, they are still the leaders of tomorrow. <laughs> The promise is there prophetically, but nothing is translating. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, brother, God is waiting for you to align yourself to the principles that make you. Because you're not going to be because simply God spoke. Jesus did not fulfill everything only because God spoke. He had to apply himself. The Bible says he grew in wisdom. This was the son of God. He was a hundred percent God. But he also had to work in wisdom and in spirit. He works strong in spirit. And the grace of God was upon him. He works strong in spirit. He understood that the human spirit, it doesn't matter how much relationship it has with God, it has to be educated. It had to be trained. So he had to work strong in spirit. Because nobody doesn't matter how connected they are, you know. To God, if their spirit is not exercised, if it's not educated, they cannot be functional in the things of the spirit. The child grew and works strong in the spirit. There's a process of strengthening the spirit man. And there are things that strengthen the spirit man, one of which is intimacy with God. You cannot build your human spirit without being intimate with God. If you're not intimate with God, you cannot function in certain realms of faith. It's not possible. You remember how the disciples come to him and they say, why could we not cast out these devils? There's a man who had a kid who was a lunatic. They prayed and prayed and prayed and they could not cast out these devils. Jesus tells them, oh ye, little faith, you don't have faith. So they asked him, what are we missing? He says, it's your unbelief. It's because of your unbelief that you not heal this child. And he says, however, this kind, he's not talking about devil, he's talking about unbelief. This kind goeth not out except by prayer and fasting. That means when you learn a life of prayer and fasting, there's certain things that start to leave you. Certain unbelief starts to leave your life. Anybody who is not a fasting person, anybody who doesn't have time to pray in life, there is a certain unbelief that will linger over your life and there are certain demons you can't cast out. Not because God has not given you the power to cast them out, but because you have not educated your spirit. Example say, but the Bible says that, you know, my righteousness is not of works, it's of faith. Then you say, okay, let's bring a lame man. And let me bring a man who prays and understands the mystery of faith. And let me put you there and we see who will make that lame man walk. You'll speak until the cows come home. And then a man will just come and say, up. And the bones will hear. Same faith. But he understands that there are principles that govern faith. You see? In my earlier years of healing the sick, I had understood that I'm gifted to heal the sick. By the way, it's so strong on my life. It actually works more than I even sometimes can dictate it. Okay? So I'm gifted to heal the sick. I, I know it. I know it. Even when I'm from doing anything, because it's a gift, that one, I don't need anything. As long as it's active, 
even if you found me playing basketball and you brought a lame man, I can get him out of a wheelchair. Now, but, but the gift, even though I had the gift, there were things that were limited in the demonstration because I had a limited understanding on healing the sick. Or there are things that would take me so long to get an answer for. Are you following what I'm saying? For example, I had misinterpreted that when you pray for the sick, Jesus has to come from heaven to heal them. That's how I used to think it. And it used to work because I was gifted. But usually, those kinds of healings usually either used to take for so long, so I would have many hours of prayer with the people, or the healing would take so long, you know, weeks, days, months, for it to manifest. So one day I'm studying the scripture, and I realize actually the true understanding of how to heal the sick begins in understanding the life which is in you in Christ. And to know that the ministry on the sick is actually the life of God in you being extended on the sick. You understand what I'm saying? It changed the way I started to heal people. Now, because my spirit was educated, I understood that I didn't need anything to come from heaven. In fact, it's a wrong teaching for things to come from heaven. The Bible tells us of the false prophets that shall come in the end times, that they shall pray for fire from heaven. The New Testament dispensation speaks of fire from within us because out of you, the Bible says, shall flow rivers of living water. I understood that God dwells in me. Christ dwells in me through faith. So when I'm laying hands, this is the extension of God's power, the life of God in me touching the sick. When I speak, the Bible says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and their life. When you educate the human spirit, listen, You've seen me teach or preach, and as I'm speaking, the anointing starts to move. That's power within. My human spirit can release the anointing, even by a simple, you know, I can look at a person and release life. I can think of a person in my head, and the power of God comes over their life. Like, because the human spirit is not limited to the activity of the body. But when you learn and train it for so long, you learn to demonstrate power in such a unique way. Are you following what I'm saying? So that's why sometimes when I'm preaching, you see, you know, either demons screaming off people or people being slain and the power of God is coming upon them. Why? Because the words we speak to you, they are spirit and their life. You understand? We give from the abundance of our hearts. When you see people, you know, slain and people are getting healed, that's all coming from my spirit. You understand? It's coming from my spirit because it has been trained to walk, to move, to heal. Literally, when I'm praying for the sick, my spirit is moving at a supersonic speed and it's as though I'm laying hands on every sick person. And as I started to continue to grow in this thing, I got from the level, I remember the day Jesus appears and tells me, from today, you will not take long hours to heal the sick. I remember that day. He told me from today, you will simply declare and the power out of your spirit will heal the sick. So if you've been on crusades, I simply declare and I say, if you're lame and you have a clutch, get up and walk in the name of Jesus. And the man's born straightened. There was one they told us he had spent a long time crippled and he had wounds through. You saw him, I think, in Ishaka. He had wounds on his left leg and told he had spent 28 days on a certain hot spring trying to call upon some things. But he came on the ground and he walked. Remember the guy of 15 years? 15 years! Both of these legs could not work. 15 years! He just gets clutches and boom! 15 years and then you say get up in the name of jesus and then these bones get strength and they start walking why because you have trained your spirit to heal 
That's why I don't heal people when they complicate healing. When you complicate healing, I will not heal you because you're disturbing my pattern. <laughs> the pattern that has been given. Study Jesus. Just see Jesus healing the sick. Little girl wrapped up in the white. Talitha Kumai. Be healed. The sea. Be still. Ask Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying? I only pray when I'm led, when I'm told, pray. But if I'm not, it, usually it happens in that simplicity. Why? Because I've exercised my spirit. It's not something that happens in 24 hours. It's something that you exercise yourself over. Now, that's for healing. But so it is in wealth. There's no wealth can come. Some of you think that you're going to make wealth by your salary. You will never build wealth through salary. No man can ever pay you enough. And no man can ever pay you your worth. No. That's why you have a job description. Do these seven things. We shall pay you for those seven things on your job description. But you're more than the seven things. So you're only paid on those eight or nine or twelve things on your job description. And any other duties that shall be assigned to you from time to time. Some of you who have worked have seen those things. And some of you have submitted your destiny only on those 12 things. Until the day you leave the earth. You're more than that. Tell your neighbor more than that. Hallelujah. 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 So, God is saying, there are principles. Right? I gave an example of a footballer who is naturally gifted. Put him on the pitch and he'll do magic. But he's naturally gifted. Then you're going to find a person who is mediocre. Moderately gifted. But he trains hard. And you find many a time. It doesn't matter how gifted this man is. If they don't train. The man which trains might excel. More than the man which is gifted. It's called neuroplasticity. Scientists say that the mind, this mind like elastic you can stretch it to do things that are unimaginable it's like some of you when you were younger your brains were very retentive and you could cram things now as you age you don't even remember your phone number why because your brain has not been practicing that so it's gone back you see you could cram a book but now you can't even cram a scripture one scripture like this you try, you put it in your head a hundred times. When you reach lunch, you tell the person, the Bible says in... <laughs> like a bird. Now, but some God that neuroplasticity tells us that you can train your mind again to remember. You have to do some brain exercises. You do things. It's like people who stopped reading. You notice people who used to read long ago and then you got out of school and stopped reading. Your English starts to escape slowly. Next thing you know, you're speaking some English. Eh? It's like Patwa. It's like Jamaican. Me, I go. Me, I go tomorrow. And then, why? Because you're not training your brain. But the beauty is, at any age, you can retrain it. At any age, you can retrain it. You see? So, that's what the exercise of this athlete is trying to do. He's trying to train his brain to do things that he's not able to do, which perhaps this man of talent does by reason of gifting. There is always a place for men who put in an extra effort to prepare. Now, you're asking God to put you in a place of leadership, to promote you at your workplace. 
for example, you're maybe short of two or three master's degrees. And there's a man who's going to apply that master's degree and get that job. Or maybe you have the master's degree, but you don't have the mindset of a leader. And so every time your bosses sit down on the table to discuss, there's a few things they discuss and say, mm, this person has all the credentials academically, but they don't have good judgment. The other day, they met somebody so and so and spoke to them this way. Now imagine if they were the ones representing this brand. They might damage, they might put some dent on us. So it's, I don't think it's their time to be promoted. Then you go in the lunch hour, by fire, by force, by fire, by force, by fire, by force. And God is trying to tell you, yeah, 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 the fire, I made it. The force, I created it too. We love your credentials. But we need the emotional intelligence that is required for you to sit in that office. That's a conversation Christians don't want to hear. No. They'll go prophet to prophet, apostle to apostle, deliverance to deliverance, evangelist to evangelist, intercessor to intercessor. They have prayer partners. They've surrounded themselves with every person, mad or not. They think that they must get it by any means. Pray until something happens. It won't. Newsflash, it won't understand the principles be wise the bible says as serpents you must understand how the world works you want to be a wife to somebody but you act like a woman not a wife and the bible says he that findeth our wife findeth a good thing and obtains favor before God. And there is still my spiritual daughters. Men find wives, not women. It's so painful that you could come preparing yourself with everything you think matches what he wants and he just sees a beautiful woman. And then another one bypasses and says, mm, this one could make a wife. You see what I'm saying? Why? Because there's a process from being a woman to being a wife. But you're not willing to respond to that, but you have faith Keep believing. Somebody will marry a woman instead of marrying a wife. Are you following what I'm saying? Principle is key in accordance with your... Yeah. Now, let me give you another thing. When a man or woman is anointed by God, let me give you an example. When a man or woman, if you're sure that a man or woman is anointed by God, you know that a man is anointed by God or a woman is anointed by God. The Bible says he rebuked kings. He told men, touch not my anointed. That's a principle. I don't care how much faith you have. God goes to kings and rebukes them. He even goes to a prophet and tells him, I know you can prophesy, but do not touch. Begin from up there. Is it verses 21? First Chronicles. Aha. Uh -huh. The Bible says, He suffered no man to do them wrong. He reproved kings for their sex, for the anointed sex. Aha. Uh -huh. Next verse, saying, Touch not my anointed and do my prophet no harm. Now, 
when you know, if unless he's not anointed, that one you can play with him. When a man is anointed by God, or a woman is anointed by God, and you continue touching them, it doesn't matter how much faith you have, you have an answer to give God for touching his anointed. That is why you have never had me mention any man's name on this altar. You have never heard me say, Pastor so and so for this ministry on this altar. I don't touch. Even those who wrong me, I don't touch them. I don't. Because the Bible says, you will not go guiltless. So it's the scriptures. You will not go guiltless. Are you following what I'm saying? Now, you spend a whole lunch hour speaking about a dear woman somewhere serves the Lord. Maybe she has her weaknesses, but you spend a whole lunch hour touching an anointed woman of God. And then in the air, you say, this is the air of extraordinary resurrection. I receive my husband. <laughs> Continue. Until you have faith. That's not how things work. You're judging her and her marriage, yet you're not yet married. God will look on his anointed and say, but dear woman, you're touching a married woman. You're not even yet married. You're touching her marriage. You're commenting on it. Now, sometimes I tell people, can't you choose between keeping quiet and fulfilling your destiny? And touching certain people and then ruin other things that are deliberately designed for your purpose. There are people I look at in life and they are not stuck because they don't pray. They are not stuck because they don't fast. They are not stuck because they are not giving. But I can look through and say, mm -mm. they touched people they shouldn't touch. They sat on tables they should not have sat. They spoke words they should not have spoken. Now, tell me that you're going to walk out of love with all believers and confess and speak in tongues for 24 hours and think that you're going to build a big ministry. You cannot. It's not possible. Some of the men I see even attack each other or attack us on TV. You can tell they can never have a ministry that bigger because you know if God gave them what some of us have, they would destroy many. So it's for the good of heaven, for God to keep them a little humble. It's for their advantage. They're fighting the very things they're asking God for. And they expect a different result. It cannot happen. So respect the principles that govern our faith. Because God looks at these principles. when, And all of these are works that follow our faith. I gave an example. I said, how does a university student claim a scripture like 1 Corinthians 9 and say that I have all sufficiency in all things? Always having all that I need and abounding to every good work. How does a university student on pocket money say that they have all sufficiency in all things and are available for every good work except they start to activate certain principles like abounding in every good work such that they can lay a hold of the higher one to carry the sufficiency in all things. Who has understood it? Ha! Let me explain it. 
when I was in university and I read 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and the Bible says God is able to make me sufficient in all things, that means I lack nothing. As a university student, I knew that that's a place God has given me by faith. But to activate it, I needed to live the life, to allow certain principles to work in my life such that they would manifest or activate the all-sufficiency of all things. What did I do? I learned to abound in every good work. When they told me that this church was building, I would get little. My dad gave me 10,000 of a week or 20,000 of a week. I would get the 10, 2, 3, or 4, 5 and give it to that church. And another church comes, I give them 2,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 or 2,000 or 1,000 or 4,000. I educated a child on my pocket money because that kid needed only 50,000 shillings to go to school. Why? Because there was a need. You find a hungry person, give them a coin or give them something. You're telling God, I'm abounding to every good work because I believe I'm sufficient in all things, even before you have enough. When you do that, eventually your world will start agreeing with you. Now, there is nothing on the face of the earth I have wanted and I don't have. And that's a principle I still do. That's why we feed kids on Sunday. That's why we take them to school, these street kids. That's why we are settling them in orphanages. That is why we are helping orphans. There are widows in here in this church that I've given capital. There are students here we've paid fees for. There are single mothers we've taken their kids to school in this ministry. And we also know those ones who just don't want to work, so we give them so little. Or we don't give them. And we teach them to work. Or get them jobs to find something to do. But the point is, we are saying, I can only carry that sufficiency by first acting out the principle of abounding in every good work. You see what I'm saying? So, certain things precede other things. Abounding in every good work was last, yet it comes first if you must work in that sufficiency. You see? Some of us, they would give you they say, go and buy food. Hmm? They give you 10,000 shillings to go and buy food. You remove the 1,000 and say, I'll buy food less because I must tithe even on the lunch money. You can't be equal to us. Understand it. But somebody says, ah, ah, that one was for lunch. I don't have a job yet. Okay, wait until you get a job. Now it's 10 years. You're still looking for a job. Continue looking. It will not come as you expect it. Why? Because you're missing out the simple principle. Anything that comes to your hand, get God's little money and give it to him. Because God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need it. They need it. That's why in this ministry I've never had me even fundraising because I don't even want men to give out of necessity. We need to buy this. Mm -mm. You give, you give. Even recently when we bought land, we were short of money. My CFO and CEO can tell you I found another way to top up that money. I didn't disturb any Christian in this room. Yet I know many of you who have enough, more than enough. But I know how you think. So we don't bother you with your mindset. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's not about... That's a scripture that always provokes me. Do not store treasures where moths and rust can corrupt. Eh? But store your treasures where moths and rust does not corrupt. Where thieves cannot break in nor steal. And he says where your heart is, your treasure is also. My heart should be for the king. You understand what I'm saying? These are things that I live and I want you, some of you to understand these things because you must mature. 
I don't believe in these things of now those of one million come here. You, you must give. I know your money. I know you have it. You bring the no, why? Why? They don't want let them leave. This is God's ministry. He will use anything. Even birds, ravens can bring money. You understand? But the point is, you should not even give out of necessity. It should be a revelation. It's the revelation is not yet wait for the person to grow. Let them keep their money. Otherwise, you're going to lose a member because of money. No, we want your souls. Are you following what I'm saying? Principle with faith. So, this is the prayer. If you are the kind of person who has been believing for long and there are certain answers you don't find, maybe, just maybe, your prayer should be this afternoon, Father, maybe I'm missing out on the principles that must come with my faith. What are those principles that you require me to know? Help me, give me wisdom and grace to know them so I do what you require of me. Because, you see, it is done. If you're talking of healing, it is done. If you're talking of divine provision, it is done. So if it is done and you believe that it is done, why aren't you seeing the manifestation? Maybe you have not, by principle, aligned yourself to that reality. If you say, one day I'm going to be president of this country at this age, then better prepare like a president. I know the mandate on my life to preach the gospel. That warrants me to study between three to six hours almost every day of my life. Why? Because it is required of me. So you want me not to just say uh, that I'll just sit back, not read the Bible, not read the book, not pray, not do anything, and you expect me to preserve the ministry? It cannot. How can I not commit myself to the reading of the word and prayer? If I must pastor you every Sunday and give you an answer every day of your week, some of you for 10 years, 8 years, 15 years, 7 years, 4 years, you've been listening to the same person, you have a devotional every morning. How can I not avail myself? You understand what I'm saying? Principle. Principle. Speak to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Speak to God. Speak to God. to God. Jesus draws me close. Close the Lord to thee for I desire to worship 
ando bem. Let's sing it. Jesus draws me closer. Jesus draws me closer. Closer, Lord, to Thee. And the world around, world around, it fades away. Father, we receive your word. We don't stand in the letter. It's not our works that justify whatever we've received. Indeed, we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that will place us in Christ Jesus. But we're saying that there are principles that prove our faith. And those are the ones we're praying for. Not to move you because you've already moved but to respond to your move, to respond to what you've done in our lives. So these are acts, works of faith. So without works, faith is dead. These are our actions. And they require certain principles. I ask for every man and woman at the sound of my voice to receive this understanding that will get your best. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're there and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him as your Lord and Savior. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive your Lordship. I'm born again. Your Savior of my life. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.